Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk. Now, they say you can learn something from everyone. Well, my next guest is making the case for us all to become a little bit more Danish. Uh, Marlene Riedal is an expert in applying the Danish principles of trust, empathy and purpose within organisations to create healthier, more productive work environments. And I'm delighted to say she joins me now. How are you, Marlene? How's things? I'm great. I'm so happy to be in Ireland. It's uh, it's actually on the top of the countries that I enjoy coming to and visiting and working in. Well, that's good to hear. Now, you've written a book. <clears throat> firstly, you're Danish. You've written a book, Happy as a Dane. Tell me, firstly, why are Danish people so happy or are they? So um, when United Nations came out with the first World Happiness Report in 2012, Denmark was the happiest country in the world. Uh, We're only number two this year. Uh, Finland is actually number one, but it's one of the repeatedly one of the happiest countries. And the reasons why or if I were to give out three pillars, it would be the first one would be trust. Denmark has the highest level of trust in the world is at 78 percent. So meaning two, eight out of Eight out of 10 Danes actually trust somebody that they don't know uh, in the street. Um, And trust creates um, a society where people approach each other with care and in a more simple way. So trust is basically a main ingredient that explains what the Danish well-being or happiness model. Um, Then if we move down to the second pillar, I would call it... um, the freedom to be you. So this is from the educational system in Denmark, where the main purpose is to actually develop the personality of the child and to provide a sense of self-confidence that you're legitimate and that you have something you're valuable in the society. And we try throughout school to to provide and build what I call psychological safety. So we educate children to understand that it's okay to be them. It's valuable. It's okay to ask a question, submit an idea, and even to fail, to be wrong. It's okay. Um, We value all of the different talents that a child can have. So being it, we do cooking classes, woodworks, uh, creativity, and we make sure that it's as important to be good at some of these, be manual, be creative, as well as being, of course, good at the intellectual classes like math or languages. So, If we go back to trust for a second, Marlene, uh, are you saying to me that if I left my wallet in, in, in a bar or in a coffee shop in Copenhagen, that there's an eight out of 10 chance that somebody would track me down and give it back to me. Is it that high? So there was, there was a, uh, actually a wallet experiment that was carried out a few years ago where they left wallets with money and the name of the owner in them across the world. So they left wallets, you know, in India and Ireland and Denmark. And the country that had the highest number of wallets coming back with the money in them uh, to the owner, it was Denmark. <laughs> so that was. Well, that's, that, that, that endorses your hypothesis. So uh, that validates uh, your research, which is good to hear. So, so, but happiness is so much more, though, is it not about trust, about empathy, and even purpose? Like, is it? It's hard to kind of generalize around happiness, surely. 
Well, first of all, we need to agree on how we define it. And I actually, uh, happiness is often a, an individualistic perspective on what makes us happy. We often and can confuse it with pleasure, what we enjoy doing in life. Um, I tend to work on well-being, um, being well with being yourself and interacting with other people. So how good are we at creating um quality relationships with other people? How good are we at getting along with other people? According to studies, and there's one from Harvard University that's the longest study ever made, uh, that shows that the one element that influences our well-being and happiness the most throughout a lifetime is actually the quality of our relationships. And so this is something that I focus a lot on when I work around well-being, and especially well-being in uh, communities. How do we make it work when we're several people? Because the question of your own individual, let's call it happiness, or, or let's call it your own individual well-being, it's difficult as it is. So let's say you, work, you figure that out, what makes you happy or what's your good base of well-being. But then the difficult part is that you have to make it function with all kinds of people that are not you. And so this is what I try to teach people. How do we optimize and what is it that happens when we get into conflicts with people and when we, we become radical and then when it doesn't function. And one of the ingredients, and, and again, this is one of the things that we teach children in Danish schools, it's psychological safety, that people simply feel that they're free to ask a question, submit an idea and, and, and commit an error without being scared that they'll be judged or mugged or ridiculized by their, or punished even by their peers. Um, one of the things you mention around psychological safety is being more conscious of your own values. How does that work in practice? So um, basically, in order for me to accept um, a mission with the company, I always uh, make the executive team go through an exercise of self knowledge, self-awareness, because if you don't understand your own set of values, what I call your navigational system, what is it that's important to you and how does that explain how you interact with other people, how you see the world? There are three questions that are essential to understand uh, when you work around self-knowledge. It's basically how you see the world. The questions are, what is the world like? What are other people like? And what am I like? The, the way you answer these questions will indicate what you end up finding as being the reality. Because we basically collect proof to what we believe already to be true. And so we end up, we call it self-realizing prophecies. And so this is a pretty important uh, piece into understanding well-being and happiness because whatever you believe to be true reality ends up in most cases being like that for those people. And so if you have a lot of negative beliefs about the world, about other people, about yourself, that's probably what you're going to pick up on most of the day. Yeah. Um, these are things and it's linked into knowing yourself pretty well and understanding how you collect information, how what you're trying to prove in the world and what you believe to be your values and hence anything that's opposite to that, you will probably not like. What, in your view, uh, Malin, are the provokers of conflict in the workplace that that you recognize? What what things you know trigger conflict in the in the workplace, and how should people then you know navigate their way around that? 
it's um one of the the biggest uh, sparks of or what provokes a conflict is um is the value of respect and it's a very difficult value because it's a moral value and we don't have the same definitions of it and we don't have the same rules so often what people get in conflicts over is the feeling of some sort of lack of respect for something for the person or for their work or for something and um and and so what I recommend is if you know yourself well um, and you understand why you feel that's a lack of respect and what are the rules that led you to feel that that was a lack of respect and then ask an essential question for any kind of relationship is intention track. Intention check. Was that the intention of the person? Did that person deliberately disrespect me? Often the answer is no. And so um, it's stepping back, having perspective, knowing yourself, knowing that, you know, you have certain preferences in life and the things that you prefer when people act opposite ways, then you might not agree with it. Uh, but stepping back and then understanding the complexity of a world with different views and different backgrounds and different battles and try not to want to be right so much but um be what i call a growth mindset of learning listening to other perspectives and not have a narrow narrow view and have a bigger zone of comfort where you can navigate with different kinds of people now i know you were in you're you're in ireland uh you were here all week uh you were in dublin you were in cork uh talking to imi corporate members i believe the initiative was sponsored by Mason Hayes and Kern, uh, who brought you here. What did you tell the Irish audience that you haven't told me? Um, well, we went through quite a big program, both in Dublin and in Cork, but uh, we worked around perspective. So I had them ask, answer the question of what is the world like, what are other people like, and what am I like? Uh, we then looked at the self-awareness. So what are the five values that have the most dominated and influenced me to becoming who I am? And I made them work on that um, at the at the masterclass at, at IMI, uh, both in, in Dublin and in Cork. Uh, we worked on... Uh, they did it in Paris, sort of, uh, what's my navigational system? What is, and hence, how do I look at the world? What am I trying to prove? The interesting thing about values is that the values that you hold dear to you, so let's say that the value that came out as in, in Dublin, for instance, that came out as, as the one that most people shared in the room was honesty. And so we worked, we digged down and said, okay, so what are the positive consequences of honesty? What do you get from having honesty as a value. There are many things like trust and authenticity and the truth and you get good relationships, respect. And so all of these things that people felt that they, they would get. And so I said, so, but what are the costs to honesty? And then all of a sudden it became conflicts. You can be too honest. Uh, it can be hurtful to people that you're so honest. And, you, could, you know, you can be kind of narrow-minded because what, what's honest to you or what you've find that you want to be honest about might not be the right thing for other people. And then we, we were to define the definition of it. And actually what's interesting also is that most in most cases, when you have a value, like for instance, honesty, people tend to be a little bit exaggerated about it. So in many cases, a value that you put on the, your list, in many cases, you end up feeling the opposite more often. So somebody who has honesty would notice and collect on dishonesty more so than anybody else 
who doesn't have it? And so it was just a sort of an exercise of realizing things about our own values, how it influences the way we relate to people, how we make our decisions and how we position ourselves in different okay. situations and how that might lead into uh, a conflict if we're All not. All right. Sure. Well, look, if I ever lose my wallet in Copenhagen, I know that uh, Marlene uh, Riedel <laughs> will return it to me safely. So thanks for joining us, uh, Marlene. Uh, it's a <laughs> very interesting so topic and uh, uh, we really appreciate your conversation with us here today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Up next, it's executive chair time.